You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month, where you can get access to our special bonus content, like our pet peeve segment, where we ask our guests about their pets and their peeves. You can also get an extra 60% off discount on our whole church convention coming up called the Every Tribe Denomination and Tongue Convention. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13-17 through 17 say this, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ as Lord and as holy, ready at any time to give defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused by those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We often hear this passage read in church when we're talking about why apologetics are important or why we should give our testimony, but seldom is their attention brought to the section that commands we defend our faith with gentleness. Reverend Melinrust, how do you think we might benefit the church if we all remember to approach those we disagree with with gentleness and reverence? I love that. Um, I love that verse, and I love that question in bringing out gentleness and reverence. Uh, it reminds me of something that Richard Rohr wrote in Universal Christ, where he talked about it's no longer about being correct, but it's about being connected. And that being in right relationship is so much better than being right. And when I think about those words, gentleness and reverence, I feel like they're connecting words. You know, that gentleness is sort of like compassion or, you know, tenderhearted. I mean, it's something that we want to offer to someone else. And I think reverence is the same way. When I think of reverence, I think of honor. And how do we honor someone else? And... So both of those words to me are more about how do we connect you know, with the person that we're talking with and if we disagree with them. And it kind of helps to shift um, you know, where we're not looking at so much of the disagreements, but that how can we connect you know, in the midst of our disagreements. It's, I think connecting words help us to move toward one another rather than away. And when we're trying to to tell somebody why we, we think this way, and you know, as opposed to why they think that way, sometimes that can move us away from each other rather than toward. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, possibly your favorite Church Unity Podcast. What I know for sure though, is we have your favorite co-host, the, the greatest co-host to ever be thought of um when george lucas was writing star wars originally luke skywalker was going to be fashioned after him uh, then they've discovered that the voice would simply be too great to be put on film so instead he did the whole church podcast the one and only tj tiberius one blackwell welcome sorry i didn't pan out with that star wars gig yeah i was a bit too young for the role at the time yeah that's probably true too you weren't born yet so we <laughs> have uh, uh, another man who was not born yet a snack that was not thought of yet until I mean, maybe the prequels. Maybe during the prequels, you've enjoyed a pizza roll. 
Welcome, David Pizarro Pizza Roll, my other occasional co-host. How's it going, man? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, yeah, man. And we are brought with the the author of a book. I want to say the book that's probably challenged me the most in the last at least five years of all the ones that I've read. It, um, Common Spaces. I don't remember the full name because I'm not looking at it because I am just so smart right now. But <laughs> the author of Common Spaces, uh, Malin Rust. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joshua. Um, Common Spaces Between Us, Nurturing the Good in the Midst of Difference is the title. Uh, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. No, I appreciate having you. And um, I'm really excited to kind of talk about what your book is about and some of the themes there and how it might help us witness better with gentleness, <laughs> as uh, that verse we read ahead was talking about. Check out our convention website in the description below. Use code HOLD to get 40% off at checkout. It's going to be a great time. Support us on Patreon for an extra 20% off, and you'll get 60% off. You can also join our Q&A Discord channel. Just ask us questions. Get an answer, hopefully. Hopefully we have one. I always try, but I simply do not know everything, even about myself. So Yeah, I just message one of our guests and ask them, and then tell you the answer. That's all I do, honestly. It's a good time, though. And, and of course, now it is time. Um, I, I don't know if Malin is aware of this or not, but I do have a favorite form of unity. Um, it, it's been discovered through much scientific research that it is impossible to be, except for there, there's like one man alive who, who cannot be united this way. But everyone else can be united through the gift that is silliness. So we start our episodes off with a silly question. We'll all answer first, give you time to think about it. What would you do if you had your own pet water buffalo? And yes, this silly question, as well as most of them, is is due in thanks to uh, Phil Vischer's silly songs on the VeggieTales. Um, I honestly have thought about this a lot over the years since I've heard this song. Everybody has a water buffalo. Um it's really hard for me to get past what color mine would be because he says that his was pink and yours is blue, but I'm not sure if he's mean like mine is blue or if there was somebody else he was talking to. little unsure about that one. Um, I do think if I had a pet water buffalo, though, I think I'd want to take it into a candy shop because it would be the closest thing that I would get to having a bull in a candy shop. And I just sounds like a fun, like combination of several different idioms. And um, yeah, I would just have fun with that. Yeah. TJ, yeah. what are you doing with your pet water buffalo? Not much. They really don't do a whole lot. <laughs> you could do anything, TJ. Yeah, I'm going to own a buffalo. <laughs> That's what All I'm right. doing. All right. David, what are you doing with your pet water buffalo? Uh, the wild water buffalo's horns grow over 10 feet in length on average. And so what I would do is tie a line to both horns preferably on a snowy day and attach them to a sled and have it pull me because they can pull over <laughs> 1,000 pounds of weight and I already knew that I wasn't looking that up <laughs> that was that was pretty amusing yeah <laughs> all right Malin what would you do with a pet water buffalo wow well I had no idea that their horns were, um, were that big I might have to 
to rethink this, <laughs> but I've got a black lab named River, and she would be thrilled to have another <laughs> animal friend. Um, probably wouldn't be able to fit the buffalo in my house, but they could play in the backyard. And I live a couple yeah. blocks from the river and a couple blocks from the ocean. I'm thinking maybe a water buffalo would prefer the river. So we could go for walks down by the river with River, my dog. Mm, nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, now that David provided this lovely information about the horns, I also just like, you know, like the, the ring toss game. I think uh, yeah. I would probably do a lot of that. See, yeah. They're like, they're curved inwards a little. Yeah. That just makes it more challenging. Yeah. I could do it. I don't know. <laughs> I've seen you throw a lot of things. <laughs> well, eventually I might be able to do it. Hmm. Okay. Well, seeing as we got that taken care of, all great answers, and I'm grateful for each and every one of them. Ah, I didn't love TJ's. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd just be cool to hang out. I guess. Um, but, Malin, one thing we found that helps with church unity is to hear one another's stories. Would you mind sharing with our listeners just a snapshot of your own journey with faith? Sure, yeah. Um so, you know, I didn't grow up in the church or going to church, um, but in high school, in ninth grade, I did go to a church youth group with um, some of my friends in the neighborhood. And it, I think that was when I really was introduced to Jesus. Um, and, but it felt, it felt very stilted to me. Um, and I felt like like, I don't know, you know, they told me the prayer to pray, and I prayed it and accepted Jesus into my heart. And But it, it just felt like it was something that I was supposed to do so that God would love me. And so never really went anywhere from there. But the next year I moved, um, and at my new high school, I got involved with Young Life, if y'all are familiar with, with Young Life. And, Very familiar. That's yeah. Awesome. And um that's where I really felt like I came to faith and entered into a relationship with Jesus. My young life leaders were so relational and really embodied the love of Christ. And, um, and I feel like that's, that's where I would say that my journey really began. Um, but when I look back, I still feel like I carried that sense that, that I still needed to to do these things to be acceptable to God. I kind of, I carried that with me um, for, well, for almost two decades, I guess. And um, in my 30s, you know, a lot of different different reasons, I started going to counseling. And it was really through that process of um, becoming more aware of myself that um, I became more aware of God's unconditional love for me. And I really felt like that... Um, that was really a turning point in my faith journey. Um, and I really, I began to reconstruct or deconstruct, I guess, my faith and reconstruct it to, to reflect that unconditional love. Um, and then this is about the time, too, that I began to sense a call into ordained ministry. And I guess I would say my call first was not like to become an ordained minister, but I felt a, I sensed a call to become a hospital chaplain. And as I looked into that, um, you know, at the time it was required to be ordained and to be ordained, I had in my domination, I had to go to seminary. And so that was another um, really intense time of um, 
I don't know as much deconstructing, but reconstructing my faith. And I think anyone's seminary experience um, challenges you just to, you know, to think broader and to think deeper. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of that was going on. And then after seminary, when I became a university chaplain, I just felt like um, my whole understanding of God just like exploded that I, through those experiences, I just became aware of God being so much bigger than what I had thought um, and so much more inclusive. And, um, and that really challenged me again to, you know, how, how, does my, um, how does my faith, how does my theology, how does what I believe, you know, fit with what I'm experiencing and, and how I'm experiencing God, um, you know, through all the things that were happening on the campus. And um, so that was just another another very formational period for me. And then when I transitioned from chaplaincy into a writing ministry, I found myself in a much more um, contemplative place mm. um, and began to practice more um, contemplative practices, I guess. And I, I feel like, you know, like in the beginning of my faith journey, um, you know, I was always aware of the triune God, of God the Creator, and you know, God as Jesus and God as Spirit. Um, but in the beginning, in my early years, I think I was more focused on Jesus, and then in those middle years, was more God the Creator. And now, in this contemplative um, um, phase, I guess, or life right now, I, I feel like I'm I'm more in tune with the Spirit. Um, so that's kind of the yeah trajectory, I guess you would call it, of my, so, of my faith journey. So what kind of ministry do you do now? So I'm still an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church, and I'm serving as a, a creative writer, a freelance writer. How fun. Yeah. So we yeah. did ask you on the show to discuss your book, uh, Common Spaces Between Us. And one of the driving forces of the book were the challenges you faced as a chaplain at a university where you often had to minister to people of different traditions or religions. Could you unpack for us exactly what your job as a chaplain was and some of the biggest challenges of that work? Yeah, sure. Um, there were different facets to um, my position as a chaplain. One of the pieces was pastoral care, which in my book, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stories were about the pastoral care, about being available to students for one-on-one um, conversations and really anything. And you know, if you've read the book, you know that it just ran the gamut of what students would come in and want to talk about. Um, so there was that. There was um, visiting students in the hospital who might be sick or were in accidents, um, doing memorial services for students and really anyone on the campus you know, that had died or had a loved one that had died. Um, So, you know, that would be like the pastoral care piece of it. And then there was the leadership piece of it, which was both religious leadership and spiritual leadership. And the religious leadership was overseeing religious clubs on campus, um, doing the blessings, the invocations at um, events like convocation and graduation. Um, what else did I do? Let's see. I was the liaison between the university and any religious organizations in the community, you know, in churches or um, 
synagogues, the Islamic Center that might want to be in, become involved um, on the campus. Uh-huh. Um, and one of my roles with religious leadership was to promote a healthy interfaith campus community. So mm-hmm. um, different events that would help to do that and working with the, the different religious student organizations um, for them to come together and to, to, um, to promote interfaith cooperation. Um, mm-hmm. So we did that. And spiritual leadership was very, very broad. It really encompassed anything that had to do with meaning or purpose or connection. <laughs> so that could be anything. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't specific um, roles that, that you know, I was expected to be in. But anything on campus that seemed like it would be a good fit, then um, that mm-hmm. I would become involved in. For example, um, like this, the student activities department, they would do alternative spring break for students um, each year where we would travel somewhere and do service projects. And so I would go on that with them. Um, the counseling center would offer suicide modules um, for suicide prevention in the mm-hmm. University 101 classes, which were classes that every freshman takes. And um, so I would help to facilitate those, um, things like that. You know, just um, so it was a very broad um your role, I guess. Yeah. One thing uh, I was kind of curious if you could speak to that. I think a lot of, um, a lot of Christians, especially those in the kind of denominations that I grew up in may have a little bit of confusion over when we talk about interfaith relations or, um, uh, I forget some of the other terms, you know, you know, the coexist stickers, a lot, a lot of that kind of thing they think what you're saying is all of these things can be equally true and we don't need Jesus. And, 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 you know, they kind of equate it to saying that all these religions are true when that's not necessarily the goal of interfaith relations, right? No, I think, I think the goal is to recognize, you know, and, and to respect um, the people and, you know, to, um, to honor their spiritual connection so, um, and one of the, are y'all familiar with Interfaith Youth Core? I, I, I haven't I'm heard not. of it before. Yeah, I think they're changing over now to, um, to call themselves Interfaith America. But back when I was on the campus, um, Interfaith Youth Core, and I think they're still very much involved in, in campus work, but I think they, they've expanded that. But they were really working to promote interfaith cooperation. And the founder of that organization, Ibu Patel, he had two questions that really helped it. It helped me, and then it also helped um, you know me to help the students. One of the questions that he said for us to reflect on, you know, with each other of different traditions, is what similarities are there in our traditions? You know, what? Um, so, example, almost every tradition service. Is something that and and that was one thing that interfaith youth for would be um, would help to promote were um, service opportunities where you could get students from different faith traditions together, um, you know, to to work on something together and and then they became you know, they got to know each other and it wasn't just oh you're you know you're the Christian student or you're the Jewish student but you know you're John you're Mike 
um, you know, I know something more about you than just that, you know, you're a different religion than me. Um, and also values, like the, the golden rule is in every, I think every, you know, religious tradition, um, you know, philosophical traditions as well. Um, and then another question that Ibu would say, um, for students to reflect on is <laughs> what gifts, um, do other traditions have to offer me? Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, I don't know that we often think about that, but like in, in my work as a chaplain there at the university, um, there was a, a chapel building and my office was in that building and there were different prayer rooms in the building. There's a Muslim prayer room, a Jewish prayer room, um, a Catholic prayer room and a Protestant or non-denominational Christian prayer room. And, you know, Muslims pray, you know, throughout the day and just seeing them come in and, um, you know, go into the prayer yeah. room for their prayer times was really a gift to me because, I, you know, not so much my Methodist tradition, but, you know, like, like the Catholic tradition, um, they'll have daily offices, you know, but not, and, you know, Episcopal does too a little bit, um, but to... You know, I, my tradition is more, you know, you pray spontaneously, you pray throughout the day, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's something good about that. But also, am I praying, you know, throughout the day? Am I, you know, like, okay, maybe I have my morning time and I have my evening time. But to see the, um, that practice, you know, for the Muslim students, it really helped me to say, hey, you know, maybe I want to be more intentional, um, about, you know, setting a time, setting aside times during the day um, to pray. So, you know, to think about other traditions and to find out about other traditions, and if you know people from other traditions, you know, to be able to ask them questions and to see, you know, that oh, yeah, they might have, they might have gifts to offer us, you know, that um, that we're not aware of. Yeah, and there's the the powerful passage in in Acts where. Paul is giving witness to uh, Romans and, you know, people of pagan religions and doesn't attack them with why their religion is wrong, but rather honors the fact that they have different beliefs about different gods, found the unknown God, and then use that as a window to tell them what he believes. So I I think that's a really healthy and even biblical way to witness, maybe. (laughs) Um, Now, one of the things, you know, we talked talking about your time as chaplain at the university, one of the most challenging things to read for me is um, you ministered and helped this young man who was abusing his girlfriend after you just helped her and it was a whole ordeal. The way you wrote it too, I felt a lot of the emotions, even like where you talk about when you were in the room with him and you told other people to kind of just be ready because it was, I guess, you know, it would make you really anxious and I got that. And I remember I read it and I felt angry. I was like, oh yeah, we're going to give him this Bible verse and we're going to throw the book at him kind of thing, you know. But your response was a little bit more gentle, you know, um, asked a little bit more questions and you were actually able to help this young man. And that's something I I think that was the moment for me that I kept thinking back on of, I don't know if I was in that situation, if I would have been able to help him. And that was really challenging for me. Um, Could you unpack some of that story for us a little bit more? Yeah. um, So he had come in and um, well, I I had found him. I heard someone... um, that I, I thought was crying and he yeah. was in one of the prayer rooms. Um, 
but he was very angry and um, very angry specifically at me because he felt like I had um, told his girlfriend to leave the relationship. Um, he, you know, it turns out that he had been um, abusing his girlfriend, hitting his girlfriend, and um, justifying that by saying that the Bible says that, that this is okay. And, um, um, and then justifying that to me, you know, and wanting to get into, um, um, you know, why that should be so. And, um, Joshua, I felt the same way you did. I mean, I was, <laughs> you know, I, I was angry. I was, um, indignant. Um, uh-huh. you know, I, I wanted to, to throw the Bible at him <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> Show them all the verses and, you know, this is, and who Jesus is, you know, that, yeah. um, I mean, and, you know, it's just, um, it, it was really, really hard. But one of the things, you know, for chaplains, we're trained, especially in pastoral care, to, to look beyond or look beneath. And, you know, so I, I really sense that, you know, that wasn't getting into an argument with them about, um, Scripture was not, you know, was not going to be what was needed um, yeah. right then. You know, he really, not only was he angry, but then, um, you know, he, he was really torn up. I mean, genuinely torn up about um, his girlfriend leaving him. And yeah. even though I also kind of, you know, I, I felt like, well, you know, you deserved it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I'm yep. thinking. Um, but yet... There was, and I feel like, you know, this is God's spirit, um, this you know, kind of haunting me, the little prick, you know, like, <laughs> you know, but he's, he's still a human being just like you. And, you know, that, that's where it just kind of, it opened a, a place in me where I could see more than, you know, this person who, who had hurt another person um, and, you know, was trying to use the Bible to justify that. Um, that I could see someone who was wounded and, and hurt and, you know, just made me wonder, what is his story? You know, what, where did that come from? And, um, you know, and just asking him about that then opened up a whole, um, you know, whole conversation about the history of, of abuse in his family and being able mm-hmm. to talk about, um, you know, how can he move, um, you know, away from that and move into um, a more healthy place. And so um, it was hard. It was, it was, it was probably the most, um, it certainly was the time that I felt the most physically threatened, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in all of my ministry. But it also was really hard, um, you know, to, to find a connection. Um, and I think sometimes, that it does come down to, and you know, the, the chapter in the book that um, where I wrote about this story, the practice of nurture was um, recognizing our humanity, you know, our shared humanity, um, and sometimes that's that feels like that's all there is, you know, that that's the only place that we can find a connection, um, and yet if we do, you know, it, it can foster something. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's. Still, still, that's just a powerful, like, to think there's a history there. It's not just what you're seeing right now, guy abusing girl, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, something about it still just sits with me. I'm like, man, I, how do I become the kind of person who thinks to look beyond that, to ask those questions? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I assume that's just, you know, practice getting in tune with the spirit. There's not really a, a easy answer to that, but yeah, and you know, I, I think it's, um, it's harder. I mean, it's certainly, it's harder for me, like in my day-to-day relationships uh-huh. than it is, you know, in my, you know, professional work <laughs> because, you know, that's, that's what we're called to do and we're, you know, um, you know, in the yeah. way that we, we minister. But I think that's, um, you know, part of, and I don't know if we'll get into this later, but, you know, when writing the, the book and trying to find these connections, it's mm-hmm. like, what are some of the practices that can help us to do that? And that's mm-hmm. how I organize the book by, you know, practices of nurture, um, you know, that we can call to mind. And, you know, oh, Wait, you know, let me remember he's a human being, you know, or yeah. let me remember, um, you know, we do have, we, we both have a spiritual, you know, we both have spiritual yearnings, um, you know, things like that, that, um, that I think that, and, and it is, it's practice. It's not, yeah. you know, it's just like any other, um, disciplines that, yeah. that, you know, any other spiritual practices that we, um, that we take on, you know, um, we have scripture reading, we practice mm-hmm. that. And then we learn more and, um, you know, so it's the same thing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard from, um, that gentleman or the, um, uh, the girlfriend since? No, no, no. I'm just kind of curious. And, and, you know, and I don't, I don't really know for sure. Um, if, you know, in the, in the book, um, there was the story before his story about, mm-hmm. um, the the student coming to me, you know, wanted to get out of the relationship that you know, yeah. where she was being abused. She never used his name, and when he came to see me, he never used her name. And there have oh. been other instances, you know, similar so it could be situations. Not, yeah. So I don't know for sure, you know, that she was yeah his girlfriend. You know, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Were there any stories? in your book that uh any other stories like that in your book that you wouldn't mind sharing with us i don't think there are any that that were quite that hard (laughs) well i mean you know where and i guess where where i felt um you know threatened the way that i did um or that um you know that well I'll just leave it at that (laughs) but there are um there are stories that you know like one of the ones that I'm thinking of, the, um, the one about the professor who was atheist. Um, so we were sitting in the auditorium. There was a, um, you know, a training, a diversity training. It was really for anyone on campus, but, you know, faculty and staff were supposed to go. And um, you know, the person was in, in those years, you know, they were talking about diversity in terms of um, gender and in terms of race, and maybe in terms of um, sexual identity, and, you know, just how do we respect and provide equitable treatment for, um, you know, for people across the board. And at the end, you know, she opened it up, the facilitator opened it up for questions, and this man stood up, who turned out to be um, one of the professors there at the school, and said that he was atheist, and that he did not think that we should have prayers or he didn't put it that way, um, that he had a problem with the prayers that we had 
at convocation and graduation, which um, you know the faculty were were supposed to go to those, you know, graduation mm-hmm. and, and convocation, and that we're a secular school, we're non-religious, and so you know why were we having prayers? And that as an atheist, he didn't feel like you know he should be obligated to participate in those prayers, mm-hmm. and you know the facilitator just she wasn't really. I mean, she didn't know what to do with that. And and really, there had not been a lot of um, talk about religious diversity on the campus. Yeah. And, um, you know, and there were a few, and of course, you know, I'm the one who does the prayers <laughs> at convocation and, and graduation. <laughs> so I'm just kind of sitting there like, okay, let's see what happens here. And, um, you know, and nothing was happening. And a couple of people were kind of looking at me who knew who I was. And so finally, I thought, well, you know, maybe I need to say something. So, um, you know, I stood up and, but I, you know, what was I going to say? Um, <laughs> I did say, you know, I'm, I'm the chaplain. I'm the one that, that, you know, offers the prayers at graduation and convocation. And I really didn't have, I mean, you know, I, the administration mm-hmm. were the ones who had, you know, I mean, I had inherited this, um, you know, so, I didn't know that I really had a say in it, but I hadn't, I wasn't the one who had said, Hey, we're going to have prayers. You know, so I really didn't know what I, you know, what authority I, by what authority that I could say anything um, in this large group. So that's why I I just thought, you know, what if we, um, you know, what if we met for a conversation and, and talked about this and um, (laughs) he seemed okay with that. And so, you know, later I, emailed him about a time to, um, to get together. And I was just so, you know, I had no idea what to expect, but I was so surprised when, um, when he came in and just how respectful he was. And we Mm. talked about, uh, the prayers and that, you know, I really didn't think that the administration would say no prayers, but is that what we wanted? Um, but he said he didn't want that, you know, that he was fine with the prayers, um, which I was surprised about. You know, I thought, well, you know, <laughs> cause we we were a non-religious school and we valued, you know, um, um, for people to be able to to practice their religion or not practice their religion. You know, we didn't um, we didn't hold one over the other. Uh, so why why were we doing prayers? You know, so it, it brought up a lot um, um, for me to think about. But all he wanted was, you know, for us to um, to say something to where we invited people to stand up, not that we you know asked them to stand up, so that those who didn't pray could um, um, could abstain. You know, and he just yeah. wanted that option um, to which to him showed respect. You know, that if, no. if we said something like, you know, for those who would like to participate in the prayer, please stand up. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that was enough. And yet it, it allowed him then to say, you know, to himself, you know, I'm going to stay seated. And, um, uh, and and it worked out, you know, and I think mm-hmm. just just being able to have that conversation with them, um, it, it really opened my eyes to to. Again, going back to this um, this connection as um, mm-hmm. having the same um, spiritual makeup, I guess you know <laughs> that we all have that place within us that seeks meaning and purpose and connection, um, but we might seek it different ways. 
And so can we honor that in one another, you know, and that, um, and can we recognize, um, you know, what I would call spiritual values? So he, you know, one of his values was, um, respect, you know, and he respected me and he wanted respect in return. Um, another value I thought that he had was compassion. You know, he was, uh-huh. he was compassionate for the people who would want prayers. So, um, you know, it was a real learning experience for me that, um, and, you know, when, when he left, as he was leaving, I said to him that, you know, he, I was surprised that he didn't seem like the stereotypical atheist, <laughs> which was very <laughs> stereotypical of me, um, you know, but that, that what I felt like most atheists, you know, they didn't like um, people who were religious or they were very anti-religious and that he wasn't that way at all. And, um, you know, and, and he was like, you know, I don't need to be. You know, I don't need to um, don't need to prove to you that there's not a God and you don't need to prove to me that there is a God, you know, that we can still, um, you know, cooperate with one another and, um, and see where our shared values are, which um, was really significant for me. Yeah. Um, so, possibly the most controversial suggestion I've ever given on this show. I say possibly. I'm pretty certain this is the most controversial suggestion I've ever given. Um, if you ever have the time. Do some research on Satanism. Um, some of it's really interesting. Uh, there are Satanists who actually just worship Satan, but a lot of sects of Satanism are people who are atheists who can't get rights or certain things done legally because atheism isn't a religion. So they just made up a religion to be a part of so that they could get their own rights. And if we just respected people more, they wouldn't need to make up religions to do that. And um I know that's why I think that's a really powerful story. There's plenty of other powerful stories. I don't want to give any away because people just need to get the book, but I'll give a little teaser. One that I thought was going to be a funny story about bidets turned out to also be really powerful. And it's just kind of, you know, it was one of those like, ah, toilets, this will be a funny story. She got me with that one too, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> most, most toilet stories end up being less funny than they seem at first. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that's true. Unless Josh Rauschenberg is selling them. Josh, if you're listening, your toilet stories are great. Hilarious stuff. Uh, that that yeah. ended up being um, very, very sacred uh, yeah. experience. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like finding common spaces is a lot of the time rooted in seeing the value in other people. Mm. Um, I'm reading a book right now by Chuck DeGroat. Uh, called When Narcissism Comes to Church. Mm-hmm. And it talks about, you know, people who use the Bible and uh, and church to abuse people and cause harm and force their way. And one of the things, while I'm reading this book, having experienced situations like that, that is really convicting and really at the same time validating is that the book knows that it's validating you if you've been hurt by people like this but at the same time it's reminding us that god wants to reconcile everyone Mm. to himself including abusers including Mm. including people who who hurt and manipulate and abuse and what i've noticed with the stories that you've been uh telling us so far is that finding these common spaces can turn a situation where somebody may have been completely hostile to anyone else that in seeing the value in them, it's turned the situation from something potentially harmful to something beneficial on all sides. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Definitely. I think that's um, you know, just being able to see um, somebody as a person, you know, um, other than whatever behavior they're showing or whatever identity they claim um, mm-hmm. to be able to see them and, and value them um, mm-hmm. goes a long way to connection. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Uh, do you have any advice for how other Christian believers can better find common spaces, either when talking to non-believers or believers or people of other traditions? Do you have any advice that could help us? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, what I mentioned before about um, what Ibu Batel had, you know, the questions that he had, had brought up, you know, about what similarities do we have? Um, what are some of the same values that we share? Um you know, I think that, and, you know, what gifts um, do other traditions have to offer? Um, and, you know, like with the, the atheist professor, um, recognizing that, you know, we all have a spirit. You know, we all have that part within us that, you know, they, we want our life to be meaningful or to have purpose. Um, we want to belong. And so how people go about doing that, you know, can we honor that? Um, I think that's that's um, um, a way to do it, and I think also, and this is probably you know kind of all together, but looking at looking at the values or the characteristics of the kingdom of God, um, mm-hmm. and how do people embody those values? You know, like mercy, um, caring for the marginalized, um, hospitality, inclusion. Um, you know, when we look at um, what Jesus embodied and, you know, how he talked about the kingdom of God. Um, you know, we can see that in people who might not necessarily claim Jesus or claim, you know, to be Christian. Um, and so can we honor that, you know, that, um, um, that someone still may be, um, nurturing, you know, the kingdom of God, even if they're not Christian. Um, Mm. You know, and, and how could we how could we honor that? Um, and then, you know, in my book, the the different I think there's eleven chapters, and so there's eleven different practices of nurture. Um, mm-hmm. I think those are those are some tangible ways. You know, and again, thinking yeah. of them as practices. Some of them are just things that we might be thinking in our head, but um, you know, as we're able to to practice those in our relationships. Then, then they become more, um, more aligned, I guess, with who we are, and and how we see people. All right. Mm-hmm. So, is, is there any question that you've always hoped to get asked whenever you're interviewed that you haven't been asked? Well, one question I think is um, that I would love for people to to ask is: Is this book um, would this book be good for small groups? And I think it would be an excellent resource for small groups um, mm-hmm. to to really be able to to talk about. I think you know so much of what comes Definitely. up in, in the book is what's going on inside of my own heart, and sometimes we don't talk about that with other people. <laughs> you know, we talk about well, this is what we ought to do, and this is what we ought not to do, not do. But we don't always talk about. You know, I've got like. I really do feel judgy towards that person. And, you know, what can I, how can I suspend that judgment or, um, and that 
maybe the book would help us to talk about that a little bit more. Um, I do have, it's not anywhere on my website, but I do have both a discussion guide and a scripture companion that if listeners wanted to go on my website, there's a connect page that you could fill that out and request um, the discussion guide and the the scripture companion. And then I can email that uh, to people. Yeah. What's uh what is the the website link? Um it's melenrust.com. So M E L Y N N E R U S T dot com. Man, isn't it's just great when someone's able to just get their own name dot com. <laughs> so easy. Yeah. Um so <laughs> we talked a lot about this finding these connections, you know, of gentleness, of respect, of honoring the image of God and others. What do you think? as we start practically doing some of this and taking steps to ask questions and looking past some of the other stuff we see, what changes do you think we'll see in the world around us? Like, what does that look like in the world if people start doing that? You know, I think, I think if we can suspend judgment, um, which is one of the practices that I talk about in the book that, you know, if you think about it to suspend judgment and, and, to, to be aware of that, you know, if you see somebody and you're just like, okay, I just want to suspend judgment. Already you've become aware that, oh, I'm judging, you know? And so to, to just be aware of that, because I think so many times we're not aware that we're judging someone. Um, mm-hmm. So to suspend judgment, not only does that, that help with awareness, but then it opens up a space, you know, that allows us to see beyond just what we're judging. You know, that it opens up a space to um, to see that person as a person, um, you know, to see them. You know, I'm thinking about the um, the wife of the pastor of the, the Southern Baptist Church that, you know, I didn't think I had anything to talk to her about because I just saw her <laughs> as, you know, um, the you know, having completely different beliefs than I did. And yet we connected because we were both mothers and our daughters, you know, were living yeah. in different countries. Um, you know, and I mean, she blessed me before I could even like, <laughs> like think about it, <laughs> you know, that, um, yeah. and so I think that, that when we suspend judgment, it opens up that space and, and that's where story can come in, you know, where, and, you know, so like with the, um, with the student who was abusing his girlfriend, you know, it, it made me wonder about his story and, you know, so then when we start sharing our stories with one another, um, you know, I think that's where the, the connection can really take off and we can see, um, yeah, and, and mm-hmm. we can end up having a lot more conversation than debate or discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that will just go a long way to, you know, to having a world where, um, where there's not so much strife. You know, yeah. that, um, and, and looking for the good to, yeah. to believe that there is good in each and every person, even if we oh. don't see it <laughs> and, you know, but oh, to yeah. try to recognize it and honor it and nurture it, um, yeah. and in ourselves, you know, I think a lot of times we, um, you know, we might not feel like True. we have good in ourselves and to be able to, to do the work to recognize and, and nurture that in ourselves as well. Sounds like a peace on earth and goodwill to men or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I really, yeah. you know, to me, I feel like that, that's the kingdom of God. Yeah. I, um, 
I think specifically, I I'm going to call some people out and just be okay with it. Uh, I'm not doing any name drops or anything. Of times I've seen, you know, women of the church who are, you know, gossiping about somebody's kids or lo oh, looking at somebody, saying something about how they dress, calling them names. And, and then if you say something, it's, well, you know, I'm just speaking truth and God likes mm -hmm. truth. Um, so the men's version of that is, oh, I can't believe their dad let him do this or what kind of man lets his family, you know, whatever is kind of sort of the guy's version of the same thing. And I think if we just approach people as people, you know, and it, it just it really makes a huge difference when a lot of the stuff that you guys are trash talking other people for is them seeking validation. Mm -hmm. And what you do when you tear them down is further the need for validation. So it's not really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just to be able to recognize, and I think that's you know, that's where it starts. Just even recognizing it in our own hearts, you know, and yeah. and not um, you know not trying to justify what we're doing um, through scripture when it's harming someone else. All right. So the there's one thing we'd like to do before we start to wrap up. It's called our God moment segment. We just share what's God's been up to with us recently. Whether it be a blessing, challenge, curse, mount of worship, anything where you, you, know, you saw God in your life. And I always like to start with Josh to give the rest of us plenty of time to think. Uh, so, Josh, do you have a God moment for us this week? You know, I'm sure I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> for some reason, I was preparing for you to ask me about recommendations of geeky stuff um, because of our <laughs> other podcast. <laughs> I was about to tell you about a comic book and... I don't, I don't think that's quite right. <laughs> um, give me just a little bit longer to think. All right. So I recently, uh, my roommate has moved out for a few months to go pursue his dreams and play football in Montana. Nice. It's pretty cool. And one of our other good friends has moved in to take his spot for the next four months, which has been pretty cool. But they also both have COVID. So, no. Oh. Uh, pray for us. Man. I'm not going to get it yeah. because you guys are praying yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought of uh, I thought of mine. Uh, I'm going to have to to sugarcoat it a little bit, but um, there is other projects in my life other than this one, naturally, and had to make some decisions that were a little bit difficult in some other areas in my life that I was kind of unsure about. And recently, as in like yesterday, someone approached me and said, have you ever thought of doing this? And what they were asking me if I ever thought about was the decisions that I just made like the week or two beforehand that I've been questioning. So it's kind of like, mm -hmm. hey, cool affirmation that maybe I'm not crazy and this is uh, the way I'm supposed to go. So that was always cool. All right. Uh, so, David, do you have a God moment for us this week? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. Um, last week. I had a friend that I haven't talked to in years reach out to me saying that he just wanted to catch up and turns out he's married now, has a baby and wanted my wife and I to meet the baby and, uh, and his wife. And, and it was, it was awesome. We were just going to have lunch together, but it turned out that we, we didn't leave their house until like nine thirty in the evening. We'd been, we'd been <laughs> nice. there about eight hours. It was, it was awesome. And the time flew by. So I got reconnected with a really good friend. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, so Malin, Malin, 
I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> okay. uh, do you have a God moment for us? Yeah, you know, I feel like like just spending this time with y'all has been a God moment for me. Um, I feel like the the Spirit has has really been with us, and you know, I'm sure that that we don't agree on a lot of things, <laughs> but um, I really feel like we've been able to connect, and um, I'm really grateful for um, for being able to connect with y'all. Yeah. Oh shucks. Sure. <laughs> that's what i was thinking also it, it really is hard not to just say this show like every time tj asks i'm like you know tj i feel like right now we're currently having the god moment like it's we're living it <laughs> yeah that's a fair answer yeah definitely gotten it before but, uh, thank you for listening thank you malin for your time uh if you enjoyed the episode please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy uh if you do have enemies if you don't share it with a cousin if you don't have a cousin uh share it with a friend if you don't have a friend share it with me i'll listen to it for you um i'll give you my cousin's contact information you can share it with my cousins maybe yeah. they'll actually listen this time yeah uh, we do like sharing with cousins yeah come on check out our convention website it's gonna be awesome we're gonna have a book exchange uh bring a book from your faith pick one up from another faith uh support us on patreon q a discord personal favorite yeah. one because i'm not involved in it yeah <laughs> and of course uh, if you want to hear more from me tj and david you can go to systematicgeekology.org hit the host tab uh tj and my name are there uh david's name is not yet it's in the guest section hopefully he lets me add his name to that soon so you guys will be slightly less inconvenienced by wanting to hear episodes where David's talking about geeky stuff in his face. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, come back next week. We'll be speaking with Matthew Winter, creator at Brother Matthew, Reconstructed Faith, and Commuter Christian. After that, we'll be doing another roundtable discussion, this time discussing how Christians should interact with other faith communities in their local area. You know, common places. And then we will <laughs> be starting a series asking ministers of different denominations about how they conduct their worship services and mass services. And finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. Yeah, he doesn't know that, though, but I'm sure he'll figure it out. David's trying really hard to let him know. I am. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, you can always support our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast. Come back next week. We'll be doing another roundtable, this time discussing how Christians should interact with people of other religions.